What is up, friends and family? It's time for another episode of Hype is My Superpower. I'm one of your hosts, Steve Storman in Brooklyn, New York, and joining me via the miracles of modern technology, it's my good buddy, Will Freeland. Will, what's good? Life is good, man. Just uh, good. I no longer work Sunday nights, so I have a, a full day of the week that I don't have a professional responsibility. Oh, no kidding. That's nice. That's awesome. I am very happy for you. Me too. Awesome. Yeah, I just was telling you offline that I just got back from, there is a food festival type thing, a bunch of food carts and stuff in Brooklyn every week called Smorgasburg. And it's like two minutes from my apartment. And so had some vegetarian buns, like bao, and had some street corn, truffle and Parmesan and Japanese style. It was all really, really good. And spent the rest of the weekend playing Modern Horizons 2, Magic the Gathering. So still oh, doing the that. pre-releases. Doing the pre-release. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sets a lot of fun. Limited players. Highly recommend it. Well, cool, man. Should we jump straight into comic bookery? I think so. I think that might be so. our fastest intro ever. What'd you read this week? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, what did I read this week? This week I read the new Thor. Mm. This takes place right after War of the Realms. Sure. And then Jane Foster Valkyrie. Oh, she's Valkyrie two. now. She is. There's a semi reason behind all that. And then Spider Woman Volume One: Bad Blood. Which is Sweet. Kind of a mess. Jessica Drew Spider Woman. Yes. Okay. So I've got like, this is my first week using um, stickies. So hopefully I can find my notes, uh, my mental notes faster. (laughs) I've got a giant sized issue of Deadpool. That was an absolute blast. And then a little bit of Excalibur that doesn't really matter. And a bunch of Cable and a little bit of X-Man. So that's where I'm at. He's not a, a corporeal psychic dust yet. No, <laughs> I feel like he's done that a few times. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Cool. So uh, this Thor on the cover, uh, he's got a new look. It's got uh, a lot of black and a giant rune shape. Yeah, it looks vaguely chest. Captain Universe-y. It is kind of Captain Universe-y. So the rune shape is actually... The rune Thurisaz, it's the rune resembling Thor. So he's basically wearing like a T on his chest. Okay. But uh, this takes place generally right after War of the Realms. And a couple of things happen in War of the Realms, but it's basically summarized by all of the baddies from any of the 10 realms that don't like Asgard. Uh, so, <laughs> so there are a lot of them. <laughs> so yes, yeah, so you've got like Cinder and the Fire Demons. You've got Heaven and the Angels. You have Svart Alfheim and the Dark Elves. And you have Jotunheim and the Frost Giants. All the baddies team up and kind of do this massive takeover attempt. So it's called War of the Realms because all ten realms are involved. Okay. One of the things that we'll go into a little more detail about with Jane Foster is. During an ambush in New York, all of the Valkyries 
sacrifice themselves to get the heroes out of New York so they can regroup and continue the battle. Mm-hmm. So as of the end of War of the Realms, there were no Valkyries. Mirage, sure. Mirage is an honorary Valkyrie and she was not there. Ah, uh, okay. Was, um, I think she was off world at the time. In their story, she came back and she was like, I should have been here, blah, blah, blah. So all the Valkyries are dead. It's New York City is just riddled with bodies of dead demons, monsters, and Valkyrie. Yikes. Um, yeah. And at the end of it, Thor becomes the Allfather. Odin steps again. down. And, uh, yeah, again. So yeah, so Straczynski's <laughs> run had Thor being the Allfather and having the powers <laughs> of the Allfather. Anyway, to now, it starts with... Thor sitting in Asgard, keeping an eye on things. Oh, another thing happened is uh, Sith becomes the Watcher, basically. Not Watcher, but like uh, Heimdall. So Heimdall and Sith are brother and sister. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, and Heimdall gets messed up in War of the Realms. (laughs) Um, And then Daredevil takes his place for a little bit, and he gets these like cosmic godly powers to keep an eye on the, the reality. And then at the end of it, he steps down and Sif takes his place. So so Sif is now the keeper of the Bifrost. So we get introduced to basically Thor being kind of bored um, (laughs) on his throne. Something that we're not going to get a whole lot of insight into through this book is Mjolnir seems to be getting heavier and heavier. Huh. Okay. Interesting. So the end of the previous of the mighty Thor where Jane Foster was the Thor and Thor Odin's son was no longer worthy of the hammer. Right. Uh, in war of the realms, they, so <laughs> Mjolnir <laughs> was destroyed and then has been remade and it's hilt. <laughs> it's, it's hilt is made from the world tree. Um, okay. This is just, it's a it's a cool little design, but yeah, so it's yeah. basically like got a branch for a hilt, but he is now worthy again of the hammer. But for reasons we don't currently know, it's getting harder and harder for him to lift up. Like he grunts when he picks it up now. <laughs> okay. Um, we see him showing some new powers, like Loki came to visit Loki. Oh God, Loki at the end <laughs> of War of the Realms is now the king of Jotunheim. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> he killed. So his his father is Laufey, who is the king of Jotunheim. Right, uh, Laufey died in War of the Realms, and so okay, and died at the hands of Loki. So of course, even more so, Loki is now the king of Jotunheim. Check out. Yeah, there's there, <laughs> when, when you have stories that come out of crossovers. And we don't talk about crossovers so much <laughs> that you're just like, oh, by the way. Oh, yeah, by the yeah, way. yeah. <laughs> yeah, like this and absolute carnage. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So Loki came to go visit Thor and is like, hey, brother, how you doing? How's How are things? And, and he's been, he taunts him and goads him. And Thor throws his hammer at Loki and stops it right in front of him. Oh. And he's never done that before. And Loki's like, how did you do that? And Thor's just like, I have powers you've never seen. And you're like, uh-huh. okay. Um, <laughs> so anyway, that conversation gets ended because he's going to go address the Asgardians. And right before he's able to address them, Galactus falls on Asgard. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. 
So Thor thinks Galactus is attacking him. So he strikes him and then Galactus is like, stop. Oh, this is also in this story. I've never seen Galactus talk this much. <laughs> um, <laughs> but he's arguably a main character in this story. And so he has to talk a lot. Sure, of course. <laughs> so anyway, Galactus is like, stop, stop. I'm, I'm here because uh, I need your help. You're the only one that can help. The great Black Winter is coming. And so winter is coming. Yes, basically. So we have this black winter. We don't know what it is. Meanwhile, and something else we don't dive into in this book is the world tree seems to be dying. It's getting this like black rot in its branches and it's starting to spread. So we don't know what's going on with that. Uh, Thor calls on every herald of Galactus that he can find, uh, has them come to Asgard and be like, the hell is happening? What is this? They don't fully know, except Norrin Rad shows up in his black form still. So I'm glad I read so <laughs> black. <laughs> he shows up, he's like, uh, the black winter killed the universe before ours. So okay. the black winter destroyed the universe that Galen Ta is from and is the sole survivor of Galen coming to our universe now becoming Galactus. Right. So Potentially, that's why Galactus is involved. But the Black Winter destroyed the previous universe. So, holy okay. crap. And they, <laughs> they they explain this in the smallest little... Like, you'd think that would be, like, a big reveal. But the but server's just like, yeah, it's, it's a thing. It, it, I, I kind of like it better that way. Because it's like, this story isn't about that. It's about Asgard right. and, and the war. So keep it's it about, at that. Yeah, it's about trying to survive. If, so, if, and if anybody if anybody wants to do something with Black Winter later, you know, cool. Right. Go nuts. Yeah, that's awesome. So so Norn Rad is like, yeah, uh, Galactus needs to feed. The Black Winter is coming for him because Galactus might be the only thing in existence that can stop it. But in order to stop it, he's got to feed. And it ends and Norn Rad says, you know, in his travels, he had come across five planets that have something special about them that if Galactus were to devour them, he would gain immense power. Okay. I can take you to them. Hmm. And they're like, ah, fine. <laughs> okay. Let's do it. Oh, yeah. Um, his interaction with the Black Winter it like it gives you this vision of how you're gonna die. And when Galactus touched the Black Winter, he saw Thor. So in an attempt to control that future, Galactus goes and makes Thor his next herald and gives him the power cosmic. And that's how we get this crazy Thor. Okay, shit. Yeah. So now we have Thor, God of Thunder, All Father of Asgard. And Herald of Galactus, wielder of power cosmic. It's a lot stacked it's, on top it's, of itself. It's not a weak Thor. <laughs> no, no. And so this is written by Donnie Cates. Okay. And he is obsessed with splash page, big reveal, final page of each issue. Yeah. He, he does this in the first three issues. <laughs> so they get to the first planet and Galactus is like, let's do this. And Thor is like, no, there's still people here. Our agreement was you allowed me time to get people off the planet and then you can feed off the planet. And Glad Okay, is so like, it's it's not the it's not the people. It's not the people that gives the power. It's yeah, it's the planet okay. for whatever. Interesting. Reason. Okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and 
I should point out that when Galactus fell on Asgard and <laughs> Thor attacked him, he showed up missing an arm. And then when they get to the first planet, Galactus is like, okay, let's do this. And Thor was like, wait, hold up. And he's like, I wait for no one. And Thor throws his hammer at Galactus and knocks off two of his fingers on the hand that he has left. He's like, you don't control me, dude. Wow. Agreement. And I'm here because of this agreement. And we're going to follow through on that. To which Galactus is like, excuse you, and starts to try to attack him. And so Thor's like, fine. And so he took out his knee. <laughs> Jeez. Like, he is just manhandling Galactus. <sighs> so there's this kind of like three-party battle going on. Galactus versus Thor versus the inhabitants of the world, because all they see <laughs> is people just showing up and wrecking havoc and wrecking shop. And so... Um, yeah, no kidding. Holy crap. Yeah. And so Galactus starts killing people and then Thor is like, no. And so he reaches out to Sif and he's like a bridge and she says, okay. And so she sends the Bifrost down, removes the people and then fine Galactus, you can feed now. So they spend some time going over the first world and then they kind of just like go through the next ones because it's like, it's kind of obvious. <laughs> so when Galactus feeds on his first one, he gets healed and then he gets all glowy. After this first planet, we get our next final page reveal. Beta Ray Bill. Hey. Showing up and being like, um, Galactus, you need to stop killing people. Uh, Clearly not, Thor. Non-cosmic Beta Ray right? Bill. <laughs> yeah. Clearly Thor is under your control mm. and clearly you are wreaking havoc on this universe. This needs to stop. Somewhere along the line, Beta Ray Bill has been dubbed as God of the Godless. I think that's really cool. That is cool. So for anyone who doesn't know who Beta Ray Bill is, his planet was destroyed by Galactus. He tried to fight for his planet. It didn't work out. Thor got involved and there's a misunderstanding. So Bill and Thor start fighting and Bill picks up Thor's hammer and gets empowered with all the abilities of Thor. And at the end of that storyline, Odin has a hammer made for Bill. They consider each other brothers and Bill, he has the head of a horse. Um, <laughs> but anyway, so he goes to strike at Thor and Thor legitimately backhands him from space onto a planet. Um, <laughs> like you do. <laughs> like you do. And Bill's like, you're out of your mind. There's no way. Look at you. And he's like, fine. And so Thor, to make a point, gets rid of the power cosmic and gives Boom. it back to Galactus. And he <laughs> also like the art here, look at yeah. the size of this lightning. They show so much power in lightning just by the size of the lightning bolts. It's yeah. amazing in this comic. And Thor's like, look, I'm slave to no one. I'm still your brother. Please stand down. And Galactus is like, um, excuse you. <laughs> Uh, and then there's one scene where Thor throws Mjolnir at Bill. Bill catches it and Thor's trying to bring it back and, and Bill's holding on to it, fighting the return. And Thor's like, what are you doing that's going to tear your arm off? And he's like, no, I'm not letting go. You don't deserve his hammer. And so Thor's just like, fine, I'll use another. And he uses, he picks up Stormbreaker and he breaks Stormbreaker onto Mjolnir. And just destroys Bill's hammer. Jeez. In one strike. Holy crap. 
it's wild. The, Donny Cates is just having a great time with <laughs> Thor. And Thor picks up Mjolnir and then he goes for a striking blow. And then we get a rainbow. The next final page splash and oh Sif gets in the way and she's like, this is ridiculous. Stop. Um, <laughs> so she stands in between the two of them. Thor is like, what are you doing? So he throws the hammer at, at Sif to try to make a point. Sif summons a, a Bifrost and sends the hammer away to Jotunheim. She's like, I'm here to talk. You guys are being ridiculous. I'm taking Bill and we're leaving. So the hammer falls into the castle of Jotunheim. And all of a sudden, Loki picks up the hammer. Oh, no. And he's like, that's interesting. And then Thor summons it back. So I don't know what's happening with Mjolnir. Is the enchantment fading? Or why is it hard for Thor to pick up? Yeah. And Bill, who's always been worthy. But then also, like, how, how did Loki pick it up? It legitimately in the <sighs> captions is like something for later. And you're like, you're an asshole, Donnie. <laughs> 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 anyway, so Galactus shows up and he's like, um, are you guys done? And Thor takes his power cosmic back because he is all father and he can do these kinds of things. Of course. So we just have like this, you know, two page splash of just breaking down quickly. The next planets that we go and devour, they get to the fifth planet and Galactus starts destroying the planet before Thor has a chance. And he's like, what the hell are you doing? And Galactus is like, it's too late. The black winner is here. This is the Black Winter. It's a giant freaking like smog monster. It kind of reminds me of Galactus from Fantastic Four 2. Okay, um, I didn't see it. Yeah, well, you, you're not missing out on <laughs> So I hear. <laughs> so they kind of do this big fight between Galactus and Thor and this giant swirling cloud. Cloud swallows Thor up. And he shows up in this weird building. It's not really too important, but it starts talking to him now. So we actually have a voice through the Black Winter. Okay. And he says, would you like to see how you die? And he just shows Thor's rogues gallery. Balgobs is here. <laughs> sure, um, why not? Right? Surtur's here. Mephisto's here. You've got Enchantress. You've got Gore. You've got Malekith. You've got the Mangog. You've got Loki. You've got Doctor Doom. You've got Nihilus. Uh, and you also have Juggernaut. Um, sure. Fights his way out. And again, the color that they use for Thor's lightning is so bright. It just looks really powerful, just like as he's fighting. And especially because it's it's in the all winter, or all black, whatever it is. Right. Um, yeah. And so like it just really pops off the pages. And it was so much fun to read. And like it, it's it's rare that I stop and just look at the art. And just kind of like drink it in. Cause like there's not much not white on here, but you're just <laughs> yeah. like, that's a lot of power. <laughs> it's so much fun to look at. And then that big blast was Thor getting out of the cloud. And Thor was like, show me your freaking true self. What the hell? Then the cloud is like, fine. And it shows basically a black version of Thor. And he's like, you want to see me? Here I am. Thor is like, and now he's calling him Galen. He's not even calling him Galactus. He's like, this is what you saw, Galen? And he's like, yeah. And because it's okay. So Thor's like, the hell, man? Why are you here? What's your problem? You don't need to kill the universe. You're an ass. <laughs> then he goes, I'm here to reclaim what is mine. And he says, for the one I spared, for the one I created, for Galen of Ta, for Galactus, my herald. 
And you're like, oh, (laughs) 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 which directly contradicts the great Hickman. (laughs) It's fine. It's It's fine. fine. It's fine. It's fine. (laughs) But Hickman, he'd be so pissed. Anyway. um, No, you could. No, (laughs) I'm just I'm going to put my foot in the set. Just let it be like new stories, new. I know. I'm letting it be. Old continuity doesn't matter. I get. I know. Doesn't I matter. Know. You can herald two things at different so times. So I will. <laughs> well, okay, but like specifically, it, there, I know it's just because that legendary line. Yeah, Galactus has had many heralds, but uh-huh. he's only been herald to one. And, yeah, and that has been canon because we've seen timelines at the end of time where it's just Franklin chilling with his herald Galactus. Like <laughs> it's a thing, but whatever. This is fine because now we have the Black Winter, and so. What we never had before this is the reason why the previous universe died. Right. The previous universe died is the Black Winter. Okay. So, fine. And then, for whatever reason, he specifically spared Galen and sparked the new universe, Big Bang. And he's here for, and he decided that Galen, now Galactus, is his herald. Yeah. And it's like, holy balls <laughs> almighty. So, that ended issue five and issue six does your classic. Well, now we're post climax and we're dealing with the aftermath and someone goes and asks someone involved with the fight of just like, what happened? And then yeah. flashback. I think they do that. So they don't have to fill in the like non important parts of the fight. Yeah, totally. You can just jump to like the key spots, but you can, but you also want to show where you're going to be after that. Yeah, yeah. But because it happens all the time. They do it in <laughs> comics, they do it in TV, they do it in movies. Yeah, it's an easy Everything. like exposition dump without being like annoying about it, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Like you can still have some action during the exposition. Yeah. And so we have Thor uh, without power cosmic sitting on his throne. Norrin comes to visit him. And Norrin's like, I saw the Bifrost, I saw the addition to the architecture. So I felt compelled to um, come see how you're doing. Uh-huh. At this point, we don't know what he's talking about. But he's also like, I heard the hammer's getting heavier. He's like, yep, heavier by the day. So Norn's like, so what happened? And Thor's like, well, Thor took Galactus's power, took okay. the rest of his power so he could fight the Black Winter. But the Winter, Thor, we must defeat. I'll deal with it. You will not survive the fight. I have no need for you. Save your power. If the winter wants you, then it will have you. <laughs> <laughs> and then you get more of just amazing displays of light and power and destruction. But basically, Thor decides to enact vengeance upon Galactus for everything and everyone he has killed. It says... Galen of Tal, on behalf of the countless planets you have destroyed and laid barren in your wake, for Archaeopia, for Massacron, for Eleanor143, for Draven Bar, I don't know where these are, for Clips, for <laughs> Silas, for IOX4, for Vanish uh, IVII, for Cairo, those are the five planets that we just went to, for Corbin, for Zenla, for Earth. Corbin is where Bill is from, Zenla uh-huh. is where Silver Surfer is from, right. Earth, we know. And then he says, for Asgard. And he says, I sentence you to death. And he just. Holy shit. Yeah. He just atomizes basically Galactus. Holy shit. That's a big deal. Yeah. Galactus 
barely holding on to life. Just says, you have no idea what you've done. Thor is glowing white. Thor says, Galactus serves me yet. And the Black Knight is like, for what? You want like a trophy or something? This is ridiculous. And he's like, a bomb. And he he explodes Galactus to destroy the Black Hunter. Fuck. Holy shit. Yeah. Yeah. And even in here, and burning inside of it, the full might of the immeasurable power cosmic, the bleeding life force of a universal constant, the energy of 100,000 devoured worlds. So they acknowledge his place in the universe still, but they killed him. (laughs) (laughs) We have officially killed Galactus in 66. And not some Galactus from the future that we threw back in time to hide into the planet like we did in Fantastic Four. This is current (laughs) this is current 616 galactus has been killed in order to kill the black winter and at the end of it we see one little black snowflake falling lands in thor's hand and the snowflake just says fine you stopped me before i am no more do you want to see how you will die and he says yes and so then it comes back to asgard and we see that the architectural design ads are freaking galactus's helmet at the uh-huh. top of bifrost and noren says what did it show you and you see this like look of horror on thor's face and we see thanos marvel zombies holding mjolnir with the seven six infinity stones lodged into mjolnir and this black gauntlet that i should know where it's from but i don't know <laughs> <laughs> good lord okay that's that's a lot. Yes. And Thor just says darkness and nothing more. So Marvel Zombies hasn't really been a thing since Secret Wars. However, a book that just came out like two weeks ago mm-hmm. is Marvel Zombies Resurrection. <laughs> so knowing that I just bought that and seeing this, I'm like, oh, dear Christmas. I'm, oh, oh, Lord. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so that was great. Donny Cates is doing a great Thor. The whole reason why I was doing some research before this is because this design of Thor is what showed up in the Marvel crossover for Fortnite. Um, oh, huh. Fortnite season four. So, and it's funny because uh, seeing trailers for Fortnite for season four, which came out, I think, in August. Okay. Um, that was the first time I ever saw that version of Thor. And I thought they made their own Thor. I did not know it was Power Cosmic All-Father Thor. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I also thought it was weird because in the end of the first like teaser trailer that I ever saw, it was Thor saying, we must prepare, blah, blah, blah. And then it had Galactus in the background. And I was like, what? (laughs) All right. But turns out that was all very canon. (laughs) Yeah, just like Stuff that actually happened in the comics (laughs) but yeah it also means that i'm only a year behind in comics (laughs) so with the way i read i'm always going to be six months behind in comics so i only have six months to catch up on it's not there we go not too bad considering i took a couple years off yeah Um, congratulations buying i kept buying comics i just wasn't reading (laughs) you fucking bad man yeah well it's marvel i I (laughs) So Jane Foster Valkyrie, at the end of War of the Realms, all the Valkyries are gone and Jane Foster is no longer Thor. 
She stops being Thor at the end of her own book of Mighty Thor, but she gets tasked with being a Valkyrie and she is given and the the Norse (laughs) slash comics are obsessed with things being the all something. But so she has the all weapon. It looks like a gauntlet on her arm. Made Um, out of all spice. (laughs) The uh, sorry, that was terrible. So Jane Foster, she's a cancer survivor. She no longer has cancer. Right. Which was part of her story arc in Mighty Thor. Yep. And basically what happened is she succumbed to her cancer. She died at the end of Mighty Thor. Oh, Um, shit. (laughs) So chemotherapy (laughs) is a sort of poison in your body to try to fight cancer. Yeah. And so every time she transformed into Thor and transformed back. It removed all of the chemotherapy progress. Oh. Um, and so she was going to, you know, her chemotherapy when she could, but she was getting rid of all the, all the work that was done every single time she transformed into Thor. Interesting. So by the end of the run, if she turned into Thor again, she would more than likely die. And then sure. Thor being what it was, she sacrificed herself to fight the man Gog. And she dies and she's at the gates of Valhalla and Odin shows up and he's like, I did not approve of you being Thor. What a dick. But you saved my son. You saved all of Asgard. You saved the nine realm, 10 realms. I grant you life. And so he gives her a new body cancer free. So I guess arguably she's not a cancer survivor. She actually, (laughs) but Whatever. Dark. I mean, (laughs) she, she, like, because that's what they say in all of her intros. She's like, former Thor, cancer survivor. um, Right. Also a doctor. You didn't survive that shit. (laughs) She did not. But, you know, it is what it is. So, um, basically, so she has this wristband thing that looks kind of like, think about um, Miss Marvel's triple bracelet that she has. Oh, yeah. Okay. It's the same size but it's this like liquid metal and mm. it has the abilities to turn into whatever weapon she needs. So think of it as like morph from X-Men, right? but in a gauntlet and it makes weapons. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Yeah. So she has the all weapon as the Valkyrie and she's a doctor. And so now that she is cancer free, she started working in a hospital again her flakiness because she's been a Valkyrie got her demoted to go work in the morgue under this other doctor. And she's like, well, fine. <laughs> um, <laughs> but uh, it kind of works for her because as a Valkyrie, you usher the, the recently deceased um, oh, yeah. to where they need to go. So story-wise it, it mirrored. So it kind of worked anyway. So we start the first issue with her in the morgue and the dead guy wakes up. And starts to strangle the doctor. She fights him off. And the dead thing speaks to Jane is like, death sickens. Death is diseased. Dying, heal her. And then he falls over. So enter a storyline of her treating death. Death, the actual abstract death. Okay. Um, And so she goes to Dr. Strange and is like, hey, this happened. (laughs) Can you uh, help me out here? And he's like, yeah. So Jane's never dealt with death before. She doesn't know that death has a aspect. Uh, 
all that other kind of stuff. It is nice to have a character who's an outsider to superhero bullshit who has to deal with this stuff because then you get to explain some of these things for the first time and you also get a real reaction. Like, exactly. you know, not like, oh yeah, death. Death is a death is an entity, but like, you know, having to actually react to that. Yeah. So Strange explains who death is and that she routinely takes human form to be like recognizable and blah, blah, blah. And she approaches it as a doctor uh, treating a patient. So, and she's like, so death is a person with at least a simulated personality judging by the goth getup. So (laughs) does she have just blatantly stealing from Neil Gaiman, but okay. Yeah. So does she have an immune system too? And Stephen Strange is like, that's a great question. She's got face. She may have an immune system. Uh, She's got makeup and clothing. Does she have a house? (laughs) And Strange is like, she does actually. Um, (laughs) I know some people. Let's go. (laughs) So so this basically ushers in this team up of heroes who are also doctors. Is Thanos just standing outside with a boombox in the rain? Like. <laughs> currently thanos is dead so uh no okay <laughs> she has officially ended up rejecting him but yeah so we go and visit night nurse and night nurse has connections to everyone so she calls in other uh, medical practitioners who are also heroes uh, you've got cardiac who i don't know his story i think he's a spider-man Villain. Yeah, the name sounds familiar, but I yeah. can't place it. He also it. looks familiar. I just didn't bother looking him up. Yeah. But uh he basically has a stick that stuns you and you can also double as a defibrillator. Oh, um, <laughs> yeah, one of those. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh we have Dr. Faiza Hussein, who is on the MI6 oh, yeah. team, the UK team. Yeah, yeah. And uh she is the wielder of Excalibur. The, the truest Excalibur, they hint towards it and they don't actually use it, but she has housed within her the sheath of Excalibur and the sheath has magical properties to heal basically anything. Huh. Um, but she's also a medical doctor. And then we have Dr. Whitman Knapp, also just whipped. Oh uh, yeah. He was in be, Alpha Flight. Yes. He used to be called Mannequin. Yep. Um, yeah. He was a real weird character. Yeah. I- he super is. So he has connections to all the versions of his bloodline or whatever throughout all of evolutionary history. Yeah, there were only three that showed up in Alpha Flight when he was a regular there. He was like a a regular cast member on and off. But like there's like a caveman, a protoplasm type thing, and then a future highbrow dude. Yeah. So he's, <laughs> so he says, you know, this might help. I can become three different versions of myself from up and down my own evolutionary tree. If anyone's going to help us find our way, it's highbrow, mankind's potential future. Yeah. And so he's got a mohawk in futureness. I hope they I have up. a mohawk in the future. <laughs> so they show up in Death's world and Death's forest. And then we get to Death's house. And we see this above them. It's like this giant skeleton living tribunal thing. Yeah, that's no good. Yeah. This is what is called the death of death. (laughs) (laughs) Sure. Um, Yeah, why not? Right. It's freaking out because they see this basically living tribunal skeleton death guy. And they go into the house. They take everyone off the board except for Jane. And Jane talks to 
a smaller aspect of that death of death. And we see death on a hospital bed. And so death of death has a conversation with Jane Foster and he's basically saying, make a choice. So many have returned from death more and more, even you. So death grows weaker, (laughs) sicker. And so, so many, (laughs) right. And so over the years, so many people have cheated death because it's comics, because it's comics that death, the aspect of death is actually getting weaker because she's becoming less efficient, basically (laughs) (laughs) not hitting those uh, quarterly business results. Exactly. So the question must be asked, do we need death? Any death? Convince me. And so she basically kind of has this monologue. She talks about her experiences with life, her experience being a cancer patient. And she says, so if you remove death, all death, nothing died, not people, not animals or plants, not germs, not cells, a universe of living cells that didn't die, but still reproduced. I'd call that a cancer verse. And I don't think I want to live here. Yeah. It's like, I don't think I want to live there. The end of pain and fear and sorrow. These are things to strive for, for all of our days. The end of death. I don't think that means life. So basically she chooses to save death and give death new life. And like, just from getting to that point, I guess death of death is just like, all right, cool. Bye. And death is like, she got to that. <laughs> That's all it takes. Basically. Just, just to tell death of death. No. And, and it listens. And it's like, okay. Yep. pretty much um and so that ended that kind of uh storyline it was just really interesting yeah a lot of cool ideas yeah and i I love there's the life seed that gets used in avengers a lot yeah uh, with apocalypse and i didn't read any of the stories but it seems annoying to me it seems like something i won't like (laughs) it's uh it's kind of a very powerful MacGuffin. It, yeah. it doesn't get used a whole lot, thankfully, but it's how we populated Mars. So, oh, okay, <laughs> um, sure, just a thing. Um, and then uh, the Green Door, which you'll get introduced to in Immortal Hulk, and uh, just talking about different aspects of death and that kind of stuff. And so you have this doctor who is a surviving cancer patient, but also you have a Valkyrie who exists around death, gives you this opportunity to tell some interesting stories, but then also tell some really weird stories (laughs) like death is dying. And after that, we get two issues of her dealing with a new kind of death, which this story takes place after War of the Realms because she's a Valkyrie, but before... Thor's whole Devourer King thing because he shows up and he's got his gold eye patch and his destroyer arm and he's still wielding Mjolnir and he's the Allfather. Blah, blah, blah. (laughs) Um, And we kind of explore the Earth is dying for some reason. Huh. So, (laughs) So now Jane's patient is Earth and we have to figure out what's going on with that. You know, uh, I'm, I'm into the, it seems like there's more of a, let's have superheroes do their day job in a super way. I'm kind of into that. I, I, I generally like it. Yeah. Um, It's really weird because like, like Surgeon Supreme or, you know, Arrow being an architect, Mm -hmm, you know, mm -hmm. I, I I really want to see 
because we we have enough just like everything scientists, you know, like <laughs> yeah. this is this just really bothers me. Like it truly bothers me that like Hank Pym invents a time machine. It's like he's a geneticist. Stop it. What you, you okay? He does science. He does science. Everything now, cool, right. you know. Or or he's the scientist supreme. Or oh, sorry, I meant Hank McCoy, but Hank Pym too. Oh, <laughs> Hank Pym is a you know biochemist, I guess. Right. Cool. Yeah. Like if they could just like stick to Tony Stark being an engineer, Reed Richards being a theoretical physicist. Who okay, maybe he gets a pass. But like you know, Hank Pym being a physicist slash biochemist, sure. And then Hank McCoy being a geneticist and biologist. Like these are very different things. You, you're not just like, okay, you do all of the science and then you also do all of the science and come on guys, make it, make, make the characters unique and interesting. That's all I want. So, so yeah, doctors do doctor things. (laughs) I want, I want to see, I want to see arrow like explore the, unique psychotopology of you know like limbo or 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 transylvania (laughs) or something you know just like go through and be like okay well these buildings are making people sick let's do something about it that would be fun i do like to your point heroes doing heroic versions of everyday stuff yeah it is fun and and yeah and you know have giving them real world jobs is a good enough way to make them like i said like distinct characters from one another because there are yeah. so many goddamn heroes at this point right. too many to even differentiate by powers now so <laughs> i mean that's what made that's what made like alias so good yeah um, what what is the superpower you know pi look like what is the superpowered babysitter you know Mm -hmm. like all of this stuff there's there's room for that story absolutely so there wasn't really anything to write home about on this story it was basically another one of those super ancient secrets that odin took to the grave and his kids have to deal with uh, right thing yeah but (laughs) my last mark in this book is thor tells jane you look unparalleled and i was like oh that's a good one. <laughs> you're going to put that one in that your back one. pocket. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so it's basically we have them dealing with this blackness that way back when Odin fought and locked away. And it was basically, for lack of a better term, the all death. Um, so we have Ode, one of the first Kings wanted to harness this thing called the Rockva. It is basically an anti-life entity. It basically steals the soul and then kills or possesses anything it touches. And Ode, who's one of the first Kings in this history, wanted to control it and use it for his own. He was consumed by it. He got imprisoned in a giant mountain on Jotunheim and then locked behind a door using magic that's not used anymore. Okay. um, That nobody knows how to use. So arguably there's no way in. Um, Tyr, the Norse god of war, which I don't remember this revelation, but he is the oldest son of Odin 
And I don't remember when that got revealed. So in Straczynski's Thor, it was revealed that Balder is a son of Odin. But for whatever reason now, Tyr is also a son of Odin. He died in Straczynski's run and became kind of the left-hand man for Hela for a while. He has since been made to be a bartender in Valhalla. He has one arm and... We find out in this that he has kind of a chip on his shoulder because he believes that as the eldest son of Odin, he should be the Allfather. So Valhalla is the hall of heroes. And when you die a hero's death, you get brought to Valhalla if you are Norse in inclination. (laughs) Um, (laughs) And they mentioned that when you're in Valhalla, you remember everything. And so like, as you know, people and warriors grow older, you start to lose memories, blah, blah, blah. You're able to recall all of them in Valhalla. So you have people from ye olden times remembering some stuff about some secret weapons, some secret doors, some secrets, uh, some secret magics, blah, blah, blah. And Tyr has been buttering people up to get them to tell him as much as he can learn. So he finds out about a door that's untrackable. Then he can sneak out of Valhalla and get to Jotunheim. He finds out about the door with the lock on it and the mountain in Jotunheim. And he finds out about Rakva. And he's like, this will be how I ascend the throne in Asgard. So he pulls a full on Loki. And it's kind of weird that they don't use Loki for this. But in order to get the door open, he needs this white wood that doesn't exist anymore. And so he uses aspects of the Rakva to infect Thor. So Thor and Jane can go to where the Rakva is housed and Jane can use the all weapon to turn it into the white wood that doesn't exist anymore and (laughs) knock it down and knock the door down. So Tyr can show up, take the white wood and control the Rakva. Okay. And yeah, that's basically what happened. And it ends with Tyr attacking Asgard with more and more people he's adding to his ranks because the Rakva is starting to control them. And the White Wood is basically kind of like a cosmic control rod that Nihilus uses to control the Annihilation Wave. So he who holds the White Wood controls the Rakva. Okay. So there's a giant battle, Asgardians versus Asgardians. Jane confronts Tyr. Tyr goes to stab her, gets it in her body. But end of the day, the white wood is the all weapon and it knows her. And so it basically makes Tyr let go and is now in Jane's hand. And she becomes a Valkyrie again. Mm. But anyway, she gets the white wood. She uses it to suck the Rockfa out of everyone, contain the Rockfa cloud down into like something the size of a beach ball and takes the Rockfa back to the place it was hidden and locks it back away. <laughs> the, only, <laughs> the only takeaway is that a passed out tear is now in Jotunheim and uh, Loki's like, oh, hi, brother. You can, <laughs> you can you can hang out with me. That's fine. And Loki doesn't know how Tyr got there unnoticed. And so he's going to try to find that. And I imagine he's going to now control some very convenient doors. Right on. Yeah. And then Spider-Woman, it was good-ish. So the last Spider-Woman run was her being pregnant and giving birth to Jerry. And you get a lot of her home life and hanging out. 
Cool. Um, she and Carol uh, are like besties. And so it's them jib jabbing together and doing some superheroics here and there. Awesome. This is not that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Same general kind of feel of just like, she doesn't take things too seriously, which is okay. kind of refreshing and fun. Yeah. Um, but uh, we start out with her basically doing a security detail for this girl, Rebecca's super sweet 16. And it's all superhero themed. So everyone's dressed up. And I marked this page because there's someone dressed like Glob Herman in the back. <laughs> and this makes me so happy <laughs> that Glob got a co- costume. Um, <laughs> but everyone's just at the wait staff, pull guns on Rebecca and Jess fights them. And she notices something is off while she's fighting. And then she gets rid of them. And then these French guys in helicopters show up to try to kidnap the girl. And Jessica's like, what the hell is happening here? (laughs) Why are there so many people? There's this one fight scene that I've marked that is really cool for the art. They just use silhouettes, but then also the negatives of the silhouettes to show more action. That's awesome. Also, the first page of every issue starts out very, very dark. like. Black background. Yeah. Um, and they do that every issue. Every issue. And then every issue ends with her spider symbol, which is also kind of cool. Huh. Is that do you, thematic in some way? Like um not. Okay. It doesn't it doesn't complement the narrative. It's just a cool stylistic choice. It ends up kind of complementing the narrative a little bit. It's okay, okay so it turns out that the person she's doing the security detail for is basically kind of like the Jeff Bezos of pharmaceutical companies Um, (laughs) just makes a crap ton of money, has a crap ton of cash and hires her. And we don't understand immediately. Actually, they don't actually explain why all these people are trying to kidnap his daughter, but he has a lot of money is the main point. And he is the head of a pharmaceutical company. His daughter is crippled. And at the end of the fight on the boat, Jessica throws up and it's like acid. And that's where we get the first like spider symbol kind of a thing. Huh? She throws up and like the acid is like eating away into the spider symbol. Yeah. Huh? And that's just stylistic choice. Um, yeah. Yeah. But so something is wrong with Jessica. We don't know what's going on. Sure. So turns out that Jessica, do you, are you familiar with like Jessica Drew's like story? Only in the most slapdash sense. Like, I don't know what happened when, but I know that there's a giant mess of her being maybe Hydra, maybe shield, maybe an alien, maybe other things. She has the craziest backstory yeah. referenced here. So her dad experimented on her when her mom was pregnant. With right. Her. Okay. And at the time he was working for Hydra. So she gets born into Hydra and is given powers and given subsequent experiments and serums after that. And then she got really sick. And when she got really sick, her dad experimented with some spider DNA and venom and this other stuff to cure her. And in curing her, that's how she got her powers. 
So okay. her powers are like these pheromone powers. She's got super strength. She can stick to walls. It's up in the air whether she can glide or fly. I believe she can, but she didn't in this. And she has like these venom blasts. So she grows up in Hydra. And then she finds out about the stuff with her parents. And then her mom is killed. Her dad died at some point. Then she gets recruited by Nick Fury, Nick Fury Sr. Nick Fury Sr. <laughs> has her work as a double agent for S.H.I.E.L.D. within HYDRA. HYDRA finds out and sends her away to the point where she has a stint where she is <laughs> She's now she's working. She starts working for S.H.I.E.L.D. and then HYDRA recruits her again. Uh, yeah (laughs) and she starts working for hydra as a double agent of shield right Um, but it all turns out that she was doing that at the suggestion of nick fury so she was a triple agent um so (laughs) all the while she's also been an avenger and then she got kidnapped a long ass time ago and queen varonk took over her right. position right and queen varonk is actually it goes back as uh, from before house of m she was replaced yep and queen varonk did the whole secret invasion thing at the end of the invasion they go and find jessica and they bring her back so yeah she's been all over the place just a note for anyone listening to this will is pounding his desk with his fists to prove a point about the, yes. <laughs> the ridiculousness she, of all of this. So if you're wondering over. what that thudding sound yes, is, sorry, that's Will's listeners. proverbial forehead hitting the table over and over and over again. Yeah. So take that story. <laughs> and that's that's just the backstory. The, oh, God. This whole Hydra thing, while they're being experimented on, was also on Wundagore Mountain. Uh, yeah, of course. <laughs> so, all, we, all roads lead back to Mount Wendigore. And by all roads, I mean specifically the ones from the Swiss Alps a thousand miles away. <laughs> I'm sorry, I can't let go of that. Continue. <laughs> so so Jessica goes to Night Nurse and she's like, what's wrong with me? And she's like, oh, have you gotten any like treatments or something? And it's like, oh, you know, I took on security job and they had me get a physical and I got like a flu shot and they said it was routine. Oh my gosh. And then, so she goes to pharmaceutical company, man. And she's like, the hell did you do to me? And he's like, listen, you have to understand it was for my daughter. And she's like, excuse you. And so what he did was he injected this thing, removed the cure from her body that her dad had invented 30 years ago, whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, And so she was getting sick again. And it turns out (laughs) because she has the same thing going on as the pharmaceutical company guy's daughter. So he's kind of on this path to try to find a cure for his daughter. And so he was hoping that her Jessica's antibodies or whatever will figure it out and she can fight it. So he's like, yeah, you probably have like one or two years to live now. And she's like, excuse everything out of you. So now they're like entwined. Their stories are entwined and she's not going sure. away. And she's like, I would have helped you if you, did, if you just asked me, you didn't have to freaking re-poison me. How dare you? So He's like, okay, there's a spider that was thought extinct. And that's where we messed up because the last thing that we needed that your dad used was the spider that went extinct 25 years ago. And 
a batch or whatever of those spiders are being auctioned off and I got outbid. And she's like, you with all your money got outbid. He's like, I know. Right. So, um, (laughs) and so how do you feel about going and stealing it for me? She's like, fine. And she gets confronted by this woman named Octavia Vernus or Verm something. And she's like, Oh, hey, good to see you again. Remember when you killed my dad? She's like, what are you talking about? (laughs) So when she was a Hydra agent, she slept with this old guy to get some information out of her. Ended up having to kill him on a boat and she gets away. And so this old lady, like old lady. (laughs) Okay. Is that guy's daughter. (laughs) Sure. (laughs) So yeah, her name is Octavia Vermis. And her father was Otto, Otto Vermis. Otto Octavius Vermis. Right. And she's like, I don't have any hard feelings for you. Uh, Towards you for his death. I'm sure he uh, deserved it. But you can't steal my spiders. (laughs) And so (laughs) they fight. Octavia is incredibly strong. She's like, what the hell? How are you so strong? And she's like, Pilates twice a day. And then the experiments that the pharmaceutical company has been doing on Jessica has her way stronger now. She's getting like amped up. She's like, you're stronger than you're supposed to be. What the hell? She's like, Pilates three times a week, bitch. Um, (laughs) So anyway, Octavia tries to get away. Jessica's like, that's not happening. And she's like, it will if if you want to save this and she pulls out a pendant and pendant has the last surviving spider in her little orb. And so she <laughs> throws it and Jessica goes and catches it. And then we're like, okay, moving on. And so she gets, she gets back, back in the lab and they're like, we got to go somewhere. I know somewhere we can be safe because they're being attacked because some of his workers, he's got a mole. So they have to fight their way out of this. So it's so ridiculous. So anyway, they're flying away. The crash land. Turns out they're on Wondergore Mountain. And Jessica's like, the hell is your problem? Why would you bring me here? And it ends with <laughs> <laughs> they're being attacked by these like animal hybrid dinosaurs. And you're like, oh, yeah, that's pretty. That's pretty Wondergore. <laughs> and then we see this old lady on top of one of her dinosaurs. And she's like, hi, Jessica. Welcome home. And Jessica's like, wait, mom? <laughs> um <laughs> And turns out that guy, pharmaceutical man, is Jessica's brother. Okay. Okay. So we now have Jessica's brother. We have Jessica's mom, who we thought dead. And we have her niece, basically, who has the same illness as she does. So (laughs) we get some sparse exposition here and there. Them catching up, just trying to understand what's going on. She's like, wait, I saw your dead body. What is that? It's like, yeah, that was a plot. Um, I had to hide because, you know, Hydra and I'm like, fine. So her mom's name is Miriam and Jessica's full name is Jessica Miriam Drew. She, her middle name is after him, her mom. So Miriam designed Jessica's new suit. This like black and red suit. And it's got a computer in it to track her vitals because this whole plot revolves around trying to find all this cure and do these experiments, blah, 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 blah. And so since her brother poisoned her or re-poisoned her or uncured her, um, they they need to keep track of her vitals to see what's going on. And Octavia shows up again and is like, oh, hi, guys. And then, you know, fights here and there. Octavia shows up with a bunch of LMDs to fight. Uh, so we can dismember people and it won't be gory. And then at the end of the second to last issue, we have Octavia cornering everyone. And then all of a sudden, Miriam shoves Jessica and is like, she's the one you want. 
in front of incoming fire and you get a spider bullet pattern. And Jessica's like, wait, what, mom? And then, you know, you get to your next issue and she obviously dodges out on the way. But sure. um, <laughs> <laughs> we find out that her brother has powers. He has got, he's got the venom blast also. He's also super strong. And then throughout this issue, the mom just loses it. She gets super crazy. Turns out that she thoroughly hates jessica for choosing hydra because when she was born she basically stayed in hydra even though she knew about the experiments on her and blah 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 oh she hates her she sees her as a monster she thinks she is useless and a a traitor to the family all this time rebecca the daughter has been sick she was off gallivanting around the world as like an avenger and all this other crap she didn't care about her family that she didn't know about and you know just delusional type stuff (laughs) it's so not well thought out anyway so the mom takes a serum she gets crazier she gets some powers and they and they have they have a whole fight jessica takes another serum she gets even more powerful and all their eyes start glowing red it ends with does the mom die? Yeah, mom dies. And then it's just Jessica and the brother and the daughter. And it turns out that the mom that we saw now is a clone of the original mom who did die, cloned by pharmaceutical brother because Hydra took everything from him, blah, blah, blah. And it just ends with them flying away from Wondergorn Mountain going their separate ways. Like it's, it's not great. And then, <laughs> then they have this weird kind of epilogue thing where it's her checking in with her kid and Roger, who's a uh, D man. She and D man are together. D man was her babysitter for Jerry. Oh, sure. In the last storyline. And then okay. they fell in love. And so he's away with Jerry. And then Jessica goes and picks up Carol and she's like, Hey, want to go to outer space? Oh, Sure. That's how the epilogue ends. It it wasn't it wasn't great. The art was kind of interesting with the like starting with the dark page. It was like all black and super shadowy and yada yada. And then having a spider symbol somewhere on the final page, kind of cool, but generally nothing to write home about. Cool. But Thor was great. <laughs> <laughs> I can't wait for volume two whenever I get to that. That's awesome. Anyway, thanks for going down that. <laughs> cluster F. <laughs> all good shall i get started here on what did, on yeah my, what did you, on my pile about here? your stuff man okay so the first one here the first thing i have to actually talk about is an issue of deadpool which i think you're gonna be i want to send this to you just to let you read it because i think you're absolutely going to enjoy the crap out of this so it's got this classic take on the spider-man cover right yeah and So the whole thing is a takeoff on Amazing Spider-Man 47. It's like a full-on recreation, except with Deadpool instead of Peter. So where we last saw Deadpool, he had that little arc with the Great Lakes Avengers, and he activated his teleporter while inside Doorman, who was trying to teleport him somewhere. And the double teleportation thing, you know, blah, 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 space-time. And he goes to a time warp. The time warp spits him out in the middle of Amazing Spider-Man 47 and particularly directly on top of Aunt May. (laughs) So they fall on her, knock her out. And by the way, I just want to say when they go into the past here, 
all of the art letters, everything changes to be real oh, 60s yeah. Steve Ditko style. Like, you know, you see the the gradients of the lettering here, it goes away. It, it's all solid yeah. color here. All same with the colors and you know, the art style is less sort of like dynamic and manga like and a lot more just like straightforward. <laughs> And even like the panel compositions, like a lot more things are in grids instead of like these really dense mm-hmm. overlayered panels and stuff. So anyway, I love that just from a nerd comics craft nerd perspective. But basically, Anna Watson shows up because I guess at this point in Amazing Spider-Man, she was coming to move in with Aunt May and they were going to live together. But you know, they knocked Aunt May out. And so they dress up Blind Al <laughs> to pretend no. to be Aunt May. And she's just filthy as hell. And Deadpool scans, using his Im- image inducer, scans some photos of Peter and spends the whole issue pretending to be Peter. Um, <laughs> and they're just, you know, vile and awful the whole time. And it's really funny. And a plot slowly unfolds that they are trying to find a teenage weasel. Weasel is Deadpool's tech guy and weapons manufacturer and all that because some sort of plot with, you know, you got to activate the teleporter exactly at midnight and we'll handle the rest on the other side, get you back. and You can't mess with the time screen, just lots of very like standard tropey time travel story stuff like mm-hmm. but it's deadpool so it's hilarious and ridiculous uh it turns out that his teleporter is broken so he needs to track down weasel in order to fix it weasel is this nerdy classmate of peter parker's <laughs> once again character is retcon to be peter parker's classmate back in the day yep yep happens over and over again it's fine his name is jack hammer which i thought was ridiculous Um, (laughs) and weasel's competing with peter at this time for a job at oscorp and he also has this giant crush on gwen stacy i think this is before peter started dating gwen stacy as well oh also (laughs) mary jane is just this absolute ditz the entire time like she just starts dancing in the middle of nowhere for no reason everyone's like she's dumb as a sack of hammers uh (laughs) just she just started dancing (laughs) so yeah all of the constant commentary on like norman and harry osborne's hair (laughs) where it's like (laughs) oh my god there's actually two of them with that hair (laughs) so yeah as you can expect, just all of the standard Deadpool just being awful, but transported into this very pure era of comics. And it totally works. It's great commentary. So the plan is to bribe Weasel with alcohol and pornography to get him to help fix the thing. But he's all like straight laced at this time. And so they take him to Gwen Stacy's party and take advantage of his heartbreak and at a time of desperation go and ply him with alcohol and that's how they get him to fix the teleporter and get home also blah 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 there's a backup story with craven literally nobody cares (laughs) so yeah suffice it to say it all works out and the one impact that they have on the time stream is that weasel turns into the terrible drunkard that he is known to be in present day so (laughs) 
That's a lot of fun. Next was an issue of Excalibur. Last we saw in there, Pete Wisdom and Nightcrawler were taken hostage by Black Air and specifically Pete Wisdom's ex-girlfriend, whose name is Sari. Yeah, most of this issue is she's trying to like interrogate slash torture him and he gets free. But two other small notes, Kitty can't find Lockheed. She's like looking around and and he's being kidnapped by something that we don't really know what. And while she's looking for him, Doug Locke goes down and has a heart to heart with her about his crush on Rain. And he decides to go join Rain in the New Mutants reunion, which I'll be reading either next week or the week after. So that's Excalibur. The meat of what I read this week was a long arc on cable. First, just a note on the art. It's a new artist, Jose Ladron. And he is really interesting because the anatomy and the faces are kind of like gross and weird and like Romita-esque, but a lot of the detail work and backgrounds and especially the angles that he takes are just really cool. Like all the panel composition just ends up just really flying and moving and, and being really, really compelling. So it ended up being a real net positive for me in this, but it's the first appearance of Irene Merriweather, who I'm not sure if you're familiar with her as a character. She, mm-hmm. she became a major or like a recurring character in cable over the next like five, eight years or something like through his whole time with Providence and all of that. She takes on a job as Cable's chronicler. So this is her first appearance and she's working at a tabloid magazine and she hates it. And, you know, aspiring to a job at the Daily Bugle when she gets an assignment from her editor to go check out Sebastian Shaw, who, you know, everyone knows he has all this money, but he has this real ghostly public persona and editors like, go, I bet there's a story there. Go check this guy out. So she asks around and nobody will talk. And then hellfire goons show up and kill the entire tabloid office. And she barely escapes and cable shows up. And he's like, hey, come with me if you want to live. I'm the man from the future, yada, yada, yada. And so he ends up sort of taking her in and she's like, you're a giant story that just fell into my lap. I want to be this journalist. I'm going to keep following you around and write about the things that you do. And he's like, all right, sure. (laughs) Fine. Yeah. So I I have weakness for redheads. It's fine. (laughs) Right. So they keep investigating Shaw and Donald Pierce, and it turns out that they are collaborating on some mysterious plot called the Tomorrow Agenda, which, well, first we get this little flashback to 1853, right after the events of Further Adventures of Cyclops and Phoenix. That's the one with Sinister as a contemporary of Charles Darwin and... Mm. Apocalypse Awakening and all of that. So in that plot, Apocalypse tries to make an alliance with the Hellfire Club for yada, yada, yada world domination, basically to be his servants and interpreters of the decadent modern realm. And, you know, they double cross him because they're the Hellfire Club. And he's like, yeah, this time sucks anyway. I'm going back to sleep. But before he does, he puts some random dude in a tank. 
<laughs> like a, you know, techno transformation type tank and just seals them in there. And so mm-hmm. this tomorrow agenda is a plot to try and open the tank. They don't know what's in there. They just think that it's going to give them some great power. And turns out it's been attempted once before. There's another flashback to 1915 and Union Jack, the invader, World War II hero. Mm-hmm. Turns out he was also active in World War One, and he infiltrated the Hellfire Club because he heard that there was a plot to blow up London and stops them from opening the tank. But and it just stays in their basement. And no one tries to do anything with it for 80 years after that. So anyway, Cable gets tipped off by Madeline Pryor. And Irene's like, stay the fuck away. You're crazy. What, what the hell? And Madeline's like, I'm talking to my son. <laughs> <laughs> and, and Irene's like, you know what? I'm out. I'm out of my league. Never mind. Is she really your mother? He's like, in a way, I guess I'd rather not talk about it. He's like, oh, well, I understand. I don't like to talk about my parents either. Who does? You do not understand. No, not the first. She, your parents, I can guarantee didn't try to kill you in a plot to bring demons to the world and destroy everything. So it's cool. (laughs) NBD. So I do think that that's a cool way to bring Madeline into a plot because in X-Men, she was being recruited into the Hellfire Club. So this kind of takes advantage of her Hellfire connections as a way to pull her into the plot and cable. I thought that was deft. Anyway, Chevere turns up at the Hellfire Club and he's like, hey, evil dudes, I'll help you open the tank. Now, Chevere ostensibly at this point is a good guy. Before this, he'd he'd been showing up in a few issues of Cable being like, I'm a priest of the Ascani religion who has traveled back to contemporary times to manipulate Cable because Sanctity, the crazy Ascani priestess who was also the daughter of Bolivar Trask, Uh she brought him back to the present, turns out, with the mission to manipulate Cable into, you know, doing his mission of destroying apocalypse, which, uh, you know, (laughs) it's kind of sinister on its face, but also the way that the cable title has turned out for the first 50 issues, plus like all of his time in X-Force and new mutants before that, like he needs the manipulation. He hasn't done shit about apocalypse. He just like <laughs> wanders true. around and is like, oh, I have a mission. Nobody can know about it. So yeah, I'm I'm really glad that something is happening to force this title to be somewhat plot-wise relevant towards anything. <laughs> so so that's Chevair. Because also previously, we've only known him back in the future as an ally of apocalypse, but that's after all of this, it's during Adventures of Cyclops and Phoenix and Ascani's Son, where Kid Cable is growing up and opposing Apocalypse and Strife and yada, yada, yada. Chevere is sort of a medium good pawn of Apocalypse who, you know, can be easily convinced to do the right thing. So anyway, the whole time Chevere's like, man, I, I wonder if I'm doing the right thing, like helping out these clearly terrible dudes ends up helping them open the tank 
and inside the tank is the dude who apocalypse put in there in the first place and he's just been like hanging out in there getting you know transformed for 150 years give or take and dude gets out kind of looks like a deathlock he does look like a deathlock he's never named in this the wiki just calls him harbinger of apocalypse he has like adaptation powers kind of like darwin without the irony like you just like try (laughs) (laughs) you just try something on him and then the second time it doesn't work Mm. and basically he fucks everybody up and then just leaves and cable tracks him down and he's like hey you can turn back you don't have to do this whole like destroy everything whatever apocalypse brainwashed you to do you can fight it and he's like uh you know i'm not sure if i'm gonna fight it i'm gonna check out you know the modern era for a little while and uh i'm here to bring chaos and destruction to the world i'll vibe for a little bit see if i feel like it nbd later and he flies Mm. away (laughs) So that was cable issue 50. So, you know, big old milestone thing. But the arc with the Hellfire Hunt still continues. Cable and Irene go to track down Apocalypse's location. Apparently, the Harbinger's tank opening left off some energy signal. They trace it to a similar one in the Alps. And they're like, oh, this must be where Apocalypse is. Oh, shit. Shaw and Pierce are probably already there. So let's get at it. And they fight a bunch of Hellfire goons. And they are rescued and taken in by this guy, Wilhelm, who claims to be a believer of cables and this is kind of a minor plot point that's popped up just in the last few issues cable has inspired a sort of quasi-religious following all around the world of just people who kind of see him and they're like oh that guy future you know fate doing things cool yeah we're we'll help you out and he's got sort of random allies all over the place But he doesn't know this one. You know, he says it's not uncommon. One believer teaches another. It happens. And it's kind of an interesting way to, um, because Cable has been in 616 for a good deal of time before his first appearance, like maybe like a decade or so. So there's potential for all sorts of interesting little bits of backstory that they can just sort of like fill in to round out the character a little bit. They did one of those with Donald Pierce, apparently. Cable was the first person to dismember Donald Pierce and necessitate <laughs> him starting down his path of becoming a cyborg. Interesting. So, so yeah, there's like this personal grudge between them that they was kind of got explored during this Hellfire Hunt arc. So anyway, this guy Wilhelm takes them in and Cable reads his mind and he's like, holy shit, you were a Nazi. In fact, not just any Nazi. You were literally Masterman. Oh. (laughs) Yeah. And Masterman's like, yeah, I know. I was a shit. That was a long time ago. And Cable just over and over and over is like, there's no redemption for you. I don't trust you. You might think that doing any of this stuff might be leading to your salvation. There's no salvation. And then finally, Masterman just takes a plasma shot for him and dies. So that was that was kind of cool. And Cable also puts Irene to sleep, so she doesn't go with him on this mission to the uh, Apocalypse's lair in the Alps. 
And he runs into Shaw and Pierce up there. Tiver keeps being like, man, I'm probably doing the wrong thing, but I don't know. I guess I'll keep helping these clearly evil dudes. And in the middle of cable fighting Pierce, Shaw just picks him up and shoves him in another one of the tanks. <laughs> and so he gets stuck in there, presumably for thousands of years, leading to his reemergence in Cable's future. Interesting. So he just goes right back to where he came from. That's kind of hilarious. <laughs> right? Like serves him right for being an absolute idiot about this whole thing. Literally uh, everything. Yeah. So anyway, blah, 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 climactic fight scene. Shaw gets away and Pierce is like trying to get to the helicopter. And Shaw was like, nah, I was going to let you back in to the Hellfire Club contingent on your success on this tomorrow agenda. But since you failed so bad, I'm just going to leave you here in the middle of the snow later. So that's fun. And then there's a cut to Apocalypse, just kind of saying meaningless, ominous things about the next stage is happening. Things are going in order, blah, blah, blah. Also, Ozymandias, you're fired. I'm done with you. Go away. Uh, (laughs) And Caliban is still with him as a horseman. And then, so that's kind of the end of the Hellfire arc, but there's one more issue in Cable that I read with it. I guess Cable escaping the Alps, jumped on an airship and then jumped off it as it crashed and landed in Wakanda uh, like you do. Um, Also, Irene flies back to New York. She's able to get into one of Cable's safe houses and she wanders around and she sees Blake Smith just hanging out. (laughs) And she's like, nah, too creepy. I'm out of here. (laughs) It literally says there are certain things that a person can accept right away. This is not one of them. And it's (laughs) literally just the appearance of Blake Smith. (laughs) i get it dude's creepy looking whatever so wakanda apparently cable and t'challa have met before but cable wiped t'challa's memory of it except in the most vague circumstances so cool another little thing of like sprinkling of backstory even if we don't really need to get into it right now and he gets caught up in this sort of palace intrigue between t'challa and his (laughs) cousin josh <laughs> what? <A> little, <laughs> yeah. Joshua Nakoto or something. Itobu. Joshua Itobu. I, I just love that. Yeah. <laughs> it's T'Challa and Josh. Uh, <laughs> he's also like really, really short. And he's got this real like sort of Al Sharpton hair thing going on, the glasses. <laughs> which he never takes off. (laughs) Really, really entertaining. But anyway, there's this sort of palace intrigue. Apparently, Cousin Josh smuggled Claw into Wakanda to try and overthrow Wakanda to make it more of a Western militaristic power. So yeah, blah, blah, blah. They fight. They end up throwing Claw into a vacuum chamber because, quote unquote, sound can't exist in a vacuum. And Claw's body, as you well know, is made entirely out of sound. So he just kind of poofs. He just kind of just poofs away. Oh my gosh. Now, I'm not really sure that sound can't exist in a vacuum. I thought it just can't transmit, but you know, what do I know? (laughs) It seems to work well enough here. So yeah, he just kind of poofs into nothingness 
And that's the end of that. <laughs> then I've got a little bit of X-Man here to finish it all off. So he has a nightmare about the X-Men because, you know, blah, blah, blah. He doesn't trust Xavier's tin soldiers, goody two-shoe, just annoying million shades of gray. But he keeps having these nightmares about the X-Men attacking this child. And he sees the child in a newspaper. He goes to investigate. Apparently, it's this orphan who is like the only survivor of an explosion at his orphanage. He's like, oh, what if he's a mutant? And so, yeah, it turns out he is a mutant, but also he's the son of a human and a dire wraith. Uh, oh. Baby named Hybrid. Apparently, it was a character in a handful of issues of ROM in the 80s. I looked it up on the wiki. He fought the X-Men then, hence the X-Men's 80s appearance in The Nightmare. But also, apparently, he was a character in Avengers Academy. So (laughs) if you remember him, you might have read him before. Hybrid? Hybrid. Yep. Half human, half dire wraith. Dang. Also known as James Marks. Jim. Man. <laughs> I'm supposed to remember every character, son of a bitch. <laughs> it's all good, dude. Man, I, it's funny. Literally, the only three appearances, all four, he, you know, like two arcs of ROM and this, and then Avengers Academy. Well, like, I remember most of the characters from Avengers Academy because most of them are pretty good and yeah. they're still used today. Yeah, not this but guy. Not this guy. <laughs> And so it's pretty unremarkable fight scene, yada, yada from there. There was one great line where uh, Nate Gray says, why me hybrid? Why'd you seek me out? And the answer is just basically because you're an idiot. (laughs) It's It's like, yeah, both Xavier and Jean Gray have encountered me before. In you, I found the perfect dupe, a stranger to this world, blindly altruistic, easily swayed by my imagined plight. So there you go. Wow. He's just stupid enough to fall for it. Uh, Yeah. Fight scene. He wins. No big deal. And then the last thing I read for this week is an X-Men special called All Saints Day. So Nate Gray is hanging out doing his like miracle worker thing in Washington Square Park. And it's Halloween. And there's this black kid in a wheelchair named Jerome who's dressed up as Captain America. And he's like, you know, I'm not going to go do fun things right now. I have leukemia. If I exert myself too much, I could go at any time. And Nate's like, man, that's such a bummer. I wish there's something I could do about him. And then this woman who's coded kind of like uh, Roma, I guess, not Roma, the daughter of Merlin, Roma, like, you know, the Roma people of Europe. She's like, oh, in my homeland in Transylvania, there was a woman named Absinthia von Mort, who apparently cheated the Grim Reaper of its rightful harvest. Legend has it she succeeded. You can go to Transylvania and find the thing that you're looking for. And also the whole time, Nate's like, man, I, I, I got to help out my man, M apostrophe M-A-N. It's like, are you are you just calling him this because he's black? <laughs> like <laughs> anyway, on the train to Transylvania, Nate befriends this blonde couple who say that they're on their way to uh, visit Von Mort to help out with some injuries that they had. She says she has a prosthetic leg and he has a prosthetic hand. Turns out they're both Interpol agents. 
set on a mission to investigate a bunch of disappearances, which have been linked to Von Mort. We also, on rolling up to Von Mort's manor, come across a couple creepy, like pale, like completely pale or pallid skinned servants, one named Boniface and one named Augustine. So these conspicuous saint names in a special called All Saints Day. But anyway, Augustine's super strong and Boniface can make skin boil. And they're both kind of supposedly reminiscent of how they died. And Absinthia, as you might guess, is still alive. She's posing as her own granddaughter, Cindy. So she's she's been sort of doing the whole Frankenstein thing, bringing all these people back to life. Also, she has green skin. So the woman of the Interpol couple sneaks out to go about her mission and falls off a roof and dies uh, (laughs) and gets brought in to be turned into another zombie. And then the guy goes off on his own. Apparently, Absinthia also has this sort of mind control thing to turn the living and turn Sebastian, the guy Interpol agent, and everything gets revealed. Big climactic fight scene. Turns out that Absinthia's powers come from our good old friend, Esteban Corazón de Ablo. Hey! Hey! So... Her husband died and she's like, I want to join him. I'll go talk to this alchemist who will give me a suicide potion and I'll drink that and I'll die. And turns out, irony of ironies, it was eternal life. And he's like, sucker, and just disappears for the rest of the story. Um, And so one thing is making a joke about Otto and Octavia in Spider-Woman and being dangerously close to Otto Octavius. So Absinthia von Mort's husband was named Victor. Oh, wow. So (laughs) in canonical 616, we have both a Victor von Mort and a Victor von Doom. I'm just wondering what other Victor Vons are out there. (laughs) Victor von Discomfort. Victor, it's going to be Victor Von four letters. <laughs> oh, right. Okay. Yeah. Victor Von fuck. <laughs> Victor, <laughs> Victor Von. Oh my God. <laughs> I guarantee you that's a stage name for a Chippendale dancer. <laughs> oh boy. So yeah, blah, blah, blah. Fight scene. Everybody dies and he wins and he goes back to Washington Square Park and he sees Jerome. Jerome's like, "Uh, it's not it ain't the amount of time you spend on God's given earth that counts. It's what you do with it that matters. Wow. (laughs) And, you know, just in case the imagery and the theme and the title wasn't clear enough. Nate Gray says, your mama sounds like a real saint, Jay. (laughs) Cool. Cool. Yeah. (laughs) That's it. That's a really random one-off. It's a real random one-off. Yeah. It. The only way it really made sense to me as a story that X-Man needed to be in was like the whole thing about his powers, like slowly killing him and the idea that he himself has this very limited time on earth. Mm. And so having him wrapped up in this story that's kind of centrally about life and death and eternal life versus this kid who's about to be taken way too soon. That had some thematic interest. So yeah, that was my reading this week. 
Is this what you have next? Yeah, I, I was planning to get through a little more X-Men, but I didn't get to it. So I have an annual for next week. And then next week, I am also hopefully get through that X-Factor, some Maverick, and a little bit of random things. And then hopefully the New Mutants reunion. Ooh. And if I go real fast, also Kitty Pride, Agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, why not? Yeah. How about you? Up next, I think I've got some spiders. Oh, that's fun. Yeah. I know you love your spiders. Mm-hmm. All right. I've got Amazing Spider-Man Volume 7, 2099. Okay. Where you cross paths with Miguel O'Hara. Oh, dear. There's a one-off symbiote Spider-Man alien reality, which I assume is going to be more filling in backstory of peter's time with the black symbiote suit they're probably going to set up all of this symbiote nonsense that's going on yeah i imagine they're going to set up at least one character that's like i'll see you later buddy right whether it's a support character or a villain they'll they'll show up later right have some sort of tie-in to the plot of whatever the next symbiote yeah uh, the king in black the king in black right Uh, and then i've got revenge of the cosmic ghostwriter (laughs) <laughs> oh boy from everything i've heard about cosmic ghostwriter so far that sounds like that's going to be a trip god cosmic ghostwriter is such a fun read there well okay that's half a lie so there's <laughs> there's two books there's two books so far with cosmic ghostwriter the first one was baby thanos must die and that was <laughs> right that was fun and random and and then the next one was cosmic ghostwriter destroys marvel history <laughs> And All right. It was basically him being forced to babysit Frank Castle's kids. So he tra- he had traveled back to when Frank Castle's family was alive and he's like entertaining the two kids by telling stories about that happened in the Marvel universe and it's basically different iconic stories from different marvel heroes but he did it instead <laughs> so it's, it's it's just him telling stories of things that he did not other heroes so like it wasn't great and it was bleh but it was <laughs> fun enough so this will be the third book with cosmic ghostwriter awesome well <laughs> anything else you want to say to the good people of the internet before we sign on off Oh, my mom. Ah, I forgot to get names. I'm going to do it on the next one. But my mom told me about some extended family members that listen to our pod. Oh, no kidding. Awesome. Uh, yeah. Some family members in, I think she said it was Florida uh, on my dad's side. Awesome. Uh, shout outs. I'm shout- shouting them out now and I'm going to shout them out again by name <laughs> uh, next pod. Cool. Sounds great, man. Uh, so that's super exciting. It's, it's nice. It's nice to finding out about more and more people listening to our pods absolutely yeah the more the merrier yeah well anywho i think that's everything that'll do it for this week's episode of hype is my superpower will take us home is absolutely my superpower until next time uh we're gonna put the outro music here boom boom that's how it's done (laughs) all right man um sorry it takes a long time to come forward Hey, it's so good. Oh, man. Have a good one. Yep, have a good rest of your evening. Take care. Here you go.